I feel for me right before a show is like the moment where my eyes like begin to glaze over. I think what really captivates a good performer is the story they're telling. Now it's time to live in this one moment, like you mentioned, and only the people that were there are going to remember that one moment. What I do when it comes to music, I let the emotion tell me how I feel about it. Personally, I think that the emotional connectivity of a song is way more important than the technicalities behind it. It doesn't need to be perfect to be music. Hey guys, welcome back to Simply Talk, a show brought to you by Simply Creative. My name is Andres Sarmiento, and I'm the host of the show. With me is Jeffrey Craney, my co-host. And today we have Brian. Tell the viewers who you are. In my music, I go by Brian Andrew Medina. I'm a composer, I'm a synth guy. I do like this whole like TikTok synth thing and I have my own community there and outside as well. Basically, I'm an all around type of musician. I have eight years in the music industry. You know, that's a little, a little, a little snippet about myself. You said synth, what is that? I don't listen to music in general that much. My car is always like, when I'm driving, there's no music in my car. A lot of people give me gripe about it for, you know, oh, a black guy doesn't listen to music that much. And people will be like, man, what the hell is this? What kind of driving is this? Like, we're driving in silence. I'm like, we could talk, you know? Um, well, synths are like, uh, they're, so it could be either digital, so it could be on a computer or they could be physical. And basically they, you create and mold sounds like from scratch. There are different ways to like uh, sound design, you know, whatever your needs might be, even if you're recording um, like audio for a movie. There are electronic sounds that you engineer more or less, and they were very prevalent or they became very well known in the late seventies and mid eighties. Like Stranger Things is an example, like arpeggios and just like all those sounds, but maybe you can clear a little bit. 100%. They've been around for a very long time, like since the 20s. That's, I believe, when the first one came out. They shot like electrical voltage through tube amplifiers and then ran it through like an organ, and then they were able to manipulate the sounds. So that's like where it was invented. And it didn't sound anything like it does nowadays, but it sounded really pretty in its own way. And then it eventually developed into the like that um stranger things thing but now like synthesizers are everywhere you know like you have them all over hip-hop you have them like all over rock it's very hard to find a new song that doesn't have a synth whether it's like a computer-based synthesizer or something like physical even synths are used on people's vocals to like to help tune the production so that's like auto-tune is its own um like synthesizer i think that's why there's so many uh people dabbling in music nowadays because it's become i think thanks to synthesizers it's made it a little bit more accessible yeah i mean what i find the, to be the most accessible instrument and probably the most practical is the computer it's like you can do anything on it you know and it doesn't need to be perfect to be music and but the computer does a really incredible job at being perfect and so i find that the hardest part of it is getting imperfections inside of the computer but Nonetheless, that's that's how I mostly write my stuff. I normally just write it out on the computer and then I physically, like as a demo, I write it on the computer and then I physically record everything and I play everything. So I have the arrangement done. It's always going to be a synth, even if it's like real drum sounds that are sampled into a computer. Um, it's going to be some type of synth playing it back or some type of, you know, uh, virtual plugin. And so initially, like I, I like to start not in every song, but I like to, I do like to start on a computer and then work 
backwards into like the real world or I like to actually perform it out. So like record myself playing all these things and turning it into a song and taking the best snippets of it and connecting them. You said something that kind of like trigger a thought process, a perspective that I always use when it comes to music. I wish I could play music the way you play or other people play, but I have a huge respect for it because I, for myself at least, I see it as a language. I guess my side question is, you think knowing each individual's instrument's language helps you construct a more clearer vision of what you want to put out? musically um it definitely helps me put out a clear image of what i want but i think the most important part of the of the musical language is the same as like as every other language even not understanding for example how to speak a language you can still understand someone someone's emotions through it personally i think that the emotional connectivity of a song is way more important than the technicalities behind it now the technicalities help me get to a place, but that place will never be defined without the emotion. You said something earlier. I thought Andreas was going to go uh, mention that. I thought we were like kind of thinking the same thing. Maybe you were and you just were going to ask it next. But you said the toughest part about using computer is um, putting imperfections into it when you're making music. What do you mean by that when you say that? Me personally, I never like um I never like something to be perfect. Like a computer could be very perfect in its timing and its pitch in everything. But when you when you physically record an instrument, no matter how close you get, you're never gonna be 100% of the way there. You know, you could count one, two, three, four, and a computer could get that perfectly like within the intervals. You know, like it will be absolutely perfect every time and you can write it in so that it, it comes out exactly where it's supposed to be. But when you listen to like music that was recorded back in the day, the computer wasn't around and like imperfections, they weren't really looked at as imperfections. Like nobody really thought of, oh, wow, like this isn't on a musical grid. Like back in the day, they were like, oh, this sounds good. And even now, like, for example, I was hearing um, Dua Lipa's record, which what is it? Uh, levitating. That song is is tight. Like everything is on the groove. You know, you could tell that it was made in a computer, but humans had a touch in it. You know, they, they were playing the instruments. It was recorded and re-recorded. And like, this is my personal belief. I would allow some parts to be absolutely perfect in its timing. I would never allow everything to be perfect because then that takes away the, um, the human takes, element. Yeah. It, it When it's perfect, it adds a layer of of predictability but you could also get a layer of predictability while still being creative by actually playing an instrument i think there should be a, there not should be there's a clear difference between predictability and familiarity because something can be familiar and nostalgic but predictability can be labeled as something negative do you feel like that might be something that is kind of lost that that imperfection that you talk about in, in music today? That is something that I saw, that I saw a transition to, right? Like nowadays, I, I feel like people are leaning more to the philosophy that I have, where things don't need to be predictable to feel familiar, like how Andre said. And um, I like to call them the like, the 2004 to 2010 range. People had this idea that everything had to be on a grid, like absolutely perfect. You know, we will use a computer for everything. Slowly people started saying, but wait, like, what if we go back a second and like look at this in a retrospective way and i feel like music since then has 
felt more creative. Like even, even modern rap, like back in the day, rap was like very perfect, like trying to be, you know, solid on the beat. Now you hear like, like samples thrown in everywhere that are not perfectly in time. And like a song can be fun if it's, if it's catchy, but is it, it's, is it its own? So that kind of answers my question in a nutshell. Uh, so that basically, yeah, you, so you would say that today, uh, music has more imperfection than it did maybe 10 years ago. I was listening to music back in the early like 2000s and 2010s. Then I kind of fell off on it. But maybe that could have been one of those factors. Maybe because it's like, for me, it maybe it just was like, this is different. But it's maybe not appreciating those imperfections that you talk about now. I'll have to really look at that now. When I, I, when I turn on the radio, whenever that day will be, I'll have to really like listen. What I do when it comes to music, I let the emotion tell me how I feel about it. Like it, it sounds a little like repetitive on its own self, but it, it should like ignite some sort of emotional reaction for you to be like, oh my God. For me, you should know what the music is about before you even look into the lyrics. I think when a song is like, let's use the word intimately constructed, they also consider how am I going to portray this emotion with this sequence of, of musical instruments? You don't need to speak the language to know how someone feels. You know if you like the song in 10 seconds. You might not know 100% like, like what it's about or what the lyrical context is, but it makes you feel a certain way. Even if the, mu if the music is in another physical language. Like when I discovered Stromae, he's a French artist. He doesn't sing in English, but... I, I felt his like um, like he hit, not maybe not his emotion but my interpretation of what the song was through the song itself. My philosophy is a good musician doesn't need to be um, doesn't need to be a professor at it. You know, you 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 might just know one chord, but it's really what you do with it that counts. What does music mean to you? Well, to me, it's it's like my primary language. Like last night, I played a show, and um, when I perform, I forget words i don't think in a way that's like uh that's like in english or in spanish i think in a way that's like in its own context there's like the combination for me of different things there is the the technical the emotional the performative and i'd say the the insecurity of it too and that's the the old mentality of like uh i play jazz i gotta be spot on and do this like fancy music theory thing and this and that and when I'm there on stage and afterwards, like I've grown into this idea that I do not need to show off. The audience isn't here to watch anybody show off. They're here to have a good time, to enjoy and to feel what you're doing that night. And I think that that's, that's why my performance has gotten better in the aspect of performing. And last night it was like, it was a synthesizer battle. So that's like bread and butter for me. I think, um, a good performer doesn't necessarily just perform. I think what really captivates from an audience perspective, a good performer, is the story they're telling, going back into the whole language and all that stuff. Like you mentioned jazz. Jazz can become very technical and very um, by the book to an extent. But when you're looking at live jazz or even just jam sessions, what I admire about those sessions is that they're using a song as a, as a reference point, but they're overall communicating with each other the drummer talks to the to the uh, keyboardist the keyboardist talks to the to the guitarist and it's just like this like what are we doing next like 
Oh, you want to do a solo? Cool. I'll, I'll cue you. Okay, you're done. Cool. Let's go back at it. Oh, I feel the drum wanting to get something out. It's like it's it's a beautiful conversation, which is why I keep saying that I love watching it and enjoying it. So I think above all, it's it's a form of storytelling. What I like about improv, for example, is that it's it's spontaneous, but it's spontaneity of ideas that you've already started developing or have developed fully. It's like not only is there like an ebb and flow within yourself of which ideas you create, how you solo, but then you take others into consideration. And that's the type of like live that I admire. It's just communication between, amongst the musicians, amongst the audience, like amongst yourself. It's like, a, and it doesn't have to be with words. I think that same principle applies in film where you can have a film that looks absolutely beautiful, but doesn't touch emotionally on like on a level, but then you can have like, you can have a film that looks terrible, but that speaks to people very well. Sometimes we get too caught up in, in one aspect of it to realize that whatever art you're in, you're telling a story or sending a message. Did you ever feel at one point like um, any nerves when you would be like presenting your music? Because true story with me, I, I tried to learn to play a couple instruments, one in high school, the trumpet. And again, back to language, couldn't understand it. And I'd get nervous every time we would have to play whatever we would need to play during class for our assignments or whatever. My hands would be shaking like a leaf. Tried to play the guitar. It drove me insane. It drove me up the wall. Just a freaking frets and all of that and my finger getting all jammed up uh, my wrist like I didn't work the muscle I didn't realize how much work went into it but it always made me nervous anytime I tried to play so I wanted to know like was that something that ever like you experienced when going up on stage because playing in front of people can be for me terrifying if you don't know the language like you say first of all I 100% agree that nerves are a real thing I guess it's developed over time where like Back then, I was scared of playing in front of people and like being like, oh my gosh, like, what are they thinking? Like, I guess with, with confidence and enough practice, like assurance within myself, it switched more, I guess, a few years back to I'm nervous because I'm about to be in front of a crowd of people. And then now I don't get stage fright anymore. I've gotten comfortable speaking to an audience and performing in front of an audience where that nerve isn't there. But where it is, where it did switch to was when I release my music. There, I'm super nervous. On a stage, it's like, it's the equivalent to one event. If it's never recorded, it'll only live on in a certain amount of people's minds. But in a recording, you can find that recording 10 years from now. And you could be like, man, like, I will have to live forever with that one mistake that I did that nobody else hears, maybe, or that everybody else hears. Will I ever really know that that one thing in that one little tiny point of time that got recorded, released, and like people have listened to, like, will I ever really feel comfortable accepting that that happened? To close on that topic, I mean, I don't think nerves are necessarily bad. I think they're a tool that we learn to manipulate and to redirect. I don't think you're ever not going to be nervous before a show or before a release. You learn how to turn it into um, motivation. Like, what is your experience with handling your nerves? I've learned that I'm lucky enough that I work best under pressure. When there's no pressure, it's like, um, it doesn't feel exciting. If there's a lot of pressure on a situation and I feel that it's important, then that's the one that I hold the most value to. Like I put a lot of weight on it. That weight is exciting. 
And I feel like that's what's happened to me over time. Like you can get, I guess, as used to being nervous as possible. Feeling excited is really why, like I've kind of broke through those nerves in the first place, because like once you get past that, it's it's a rush. That is true. It is a rush. You can equate that to theater also. Like if I'm on on a theater stage, I'm in my own element. The light's bright. I can't see all the people out there. I know they're there. I can feel their energy, but it's home for me now. It's like I did all the work I need to do. And now it's time to live in this one moment, like you mentioned. And only the people that were there are going to remember that one moment. Yeah. If I make a mistake, it's whatever. 99.9% .9 of it will be flawless in my mind. For me, it's like when I'm there, I, I feel like I'm in a like I'm in a Zen state almost. I really appreciate that specific moment in time. Like, I don't know if this happens to you in theater, but like if time ever just either slows down to the point. Absolutely. Where yeah, where, where you're like hyper focused, but you also feel like in this really peaceful place. And then when looking back at it retrospectively, you're like, man, that was really fast. But it is. It's yeah. always that way. I've done a musical theater show once. And I don't know if it's the same with you, Jeffrey, but like five minutes before turns go up, everyone gets in their place. You're trying to sneak a look of how the stage looks and how many people are watching. Like those are the moments that how you and Brian described feel like the longest, like you're encapsulated in this moment in time that no one's recording. It's very special. And I don't know, like you guys were talking about theater and it just kind of like brought back memories of when I was in the Heights and I was just one of the ensemble and minutes before Turner went up, you just feel this adrenaline, you hear the crowd, you hear people walking in and out. It's nerves, like we keep saying, it's the nerves starting to build up and from there, it's your job to kind of like, all right, I'm going to use this to like embody the character, or embody the portrayal of what I'm trying to do in this moment to share with the audience. I don't know. It's honestly a beautiful thing. It takes you somewhere, though. But in that moment, I'm like, still, I'm embracing every moment at that point right then there. And time does slow. They're moving fast, but everything for me is like calm in a sense. And I don't have to look out the curtain. I can feel the people coming in. And then curtains open up and then we start doing our thing and they give me more. I feel for me right before a show is like the moment where my eyes like begin to glaze over. Like it's all the things at once, right? I feel like once I start performing, that's when time slows for me. It's like, um, like at that moment, I feel like my eyes aren't my primary sense. My ears aren't, my, my touch isn't like, like I can't I literally can't smell anything I feel like everything becomes like this point of like extreme hyper focus into like, like tunnel vision almost yeah like to the point where where I could I feel like I could barely see anything in front of me even though I'm looking at things and playing them and doing everything when I perform live I play only 50% of what I'm capable of. Once you get past that point of like you go to like 80 90 100 because at live, I don't just play one instrument. I play all of them. So I play like, I play drums, bass, guitar, keyboard, synth, vocals, like all of that is done like all at once. So I feel like when I go to like that 80 or 90% margin of really pushing the limits of like a singular instrument, it detracts from everything else. Where back then I used to like, for example, like, like doing guitar solos, I've gotten to the point where I'm like, that is not important anymore. And I don't personally like them. Yeah, I, lo I love it. That's my favorite feeling in the world when my eyes just glaze over and I feel like I can't see anything. And I literally just can't remember what's going on throughout the performance. Like it feels like it, it feels like my already bad eyes 
took off their glasses. That's There's a quote. I don't know if you heard this quote. It's um, they said the eyes are the window to the soul. They say it in film. I've heard that. And, and you could say that with music as well, just like how you describe it. But I wanted to talk about your TikTok. I try to glaze over it a little bit. And you did mention something. So I, I, I tend to put things that I think of at the moment, because when I put too much thought into a TikTok video, I'm like slightly disappointed because I'm like, and there's so much effort that went into this. Um, I like to listen with my ears and my mind. For me, like I see a lot of color when I see music. Like I, I visualize all this color and environments and like, and like I set up specific scenarios and scenes and angles. Um, but I also do that when I like, when I listen. I don't like um, imposing those scenarios on people. Like I like for them to come up with their own. For me, that's like the part that I really appreciate. Like if you look through like the comments, it's like one person, uh, one of those videos was like, oh, I imagine a horse running in a field. And then the other one is like, I imagine an intergalactic war where like <laughs> this and that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, I didn't look at the comments, but now I'm going to go back and read them. With all your experience that you've had so far with this platform, like what do you, what would you say to, to the newcomer that wants to attempt reaching um, that audience base? successfully if anything it will come it will come eventually i started with 17 followers in december by february i was at like like 150 and then like it went from 150 to a thousand then it stayed there it was like ah like i'm putting out so much content so much effort and then literally in the span of a week it went for i got a video that that landed like 1.3 or 1.4 million views that week and then that shot me up a lot. That video, I was lucky enough to use my own sound because I turned that into my song. That's how my music started becoming popular elsewhere. Not just like on app, but in other places. The last podcast that I did, I was like, I was like, oh, I'm so excited. I'm like, I, I'm, I'm about to reach like, like 10,000 followers. Now you're at the mercy of the platform, right? It's not like on Instagram where, the, where you're at the mercy of, of, your, of yourself like on tiktok you're at the mercy of the platform period every post is weighted on its own individual basis some things people really like some things people um like not as many can um uh, can relate to and i think for now i'm fine with that there's a difference between dedicated fans and casual listeners and like i feel like the really big ones are for the casual listeners and the dedicated fans but the smaller ones are for the dedicated fans and that's why they stick around i think to put the the seal in this package is you just got to keep doing it, keep perfecting it. Um, Cause eventually, like you said, they'll come. You just got to make sure you're working on your craft. Cause that essentially is the keystone of the reason why you're doing what you're doing. I think this was actually fun. I feel like I learned some stuff today that I didn't know before. It opened up your mind. It did. It did musically. It Good did. job, Brian. Thanks man. Every musician has a different perspective. I have a very like weird perspective of music. I feel like if I had maybe like a five hour podcast, I could get into it. But I think in 30 minutes, this was perfect. And it's going to be probably a little shorter because I'm going to be taking out the arms and whatever. And, and yeah, you, you know, the limbo. Um, you let the world know that Jeffrey wakes up warm, like ready, to, <laughs> ready for anything. Like I wake up sweating already, bro. That's how warmed up I am. Shit. I work out of my sleep, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do 30 sit-ups just to get out of bed. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
Oh man, no, that's terrible. Oh, <laughs> uh, you just gave me like a a headache just now. Damn, pulled out a tear. Put that shit on the director's cut. Uh, where where can we find your music? Uh, both on TikTok and any other platform that you're based off of. Basically, all the streaming services, you know, title, uh, YouTube, all of those, I'm on. I believe my music is now being distributed to SoundCloud. I'm not sure. For like really hardcore music fans, I'm gonna start releasing all the stems. So like all the different audio files in my music and I'll put that like on my website and have them like, you know, just like sign up for them and then they could use them and sample them in the way that they want to. And what's your TikTok handle? It's Brian Andrew Medina. Cause that's, I, I was like, what's a creative artist name? And then I was like, I'm not creative. <laughs> Come on. We all know that's not true. To kind of prove it, I'm going to make you answer this question. What's creativity for you? Dude, creativity is an endless void of absolute hatred. And uh, <laughs> sounds um, so romantic. That's a loaded question, Andres. What is creativity for me? Creativity is the ability to react. Hey, that's I like that. I like that too. That could be a little uh, Christmas card. Nice. Or, and the ability to respond. They're two different things, but the abilities to act and respond. What about you, Jeffrey? Has has your perspective on creativity changed, or you're still that five year old boy? No, it'll never change. <laughs> it will never change. Creativity will always be that for me. Remembering that five-year-old kid. Awesome. What did that five-year-old kid want when he wanted to be creative? I was five years old when I had my first push-up. <laughs> oh, just, he's not going to let that go. He's never going to. I'm going to meet him in person, and he's going to do a sit-up just to make fun of me, bro. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. I like it, though. It's awesome. That was great. Thank you guys for tuning in, as always. Thank you for listening. For everybody that's listening, I appreciate you. Hopefully you got to learn something new and be entertained at the same time. And hopefully, you know, you'll be able to look back at this in a series of podcasts and say, wow, we've improved. (laughs) (laughs) That's important. A year from now, if we're having the same like conversation, let's hope that that's the case. Like, wow, we've improved. Or wow, we're here in person talking in the same room. Book it. We're booking it. Book the date, Andres, the date and the time and all of that. All right. Well, yeah, that's awesome, guys. Thank you guys for watching as always. I hope you guys enjoyed this segment of Simply Talk with our awesome guest, Brian. And remember, don't sweat too much in your sleep.